Amen. Isaiah chapter 7, the sermon text for this morning. Isaiah chapter 7. And then I will also read from Matthew chapter 1. I believe it's Matthew 2 in the bulletin. That's my mistake. It should be Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We'll read from Isaiah 7 first, and then Matthew chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 3. We'll read verses 3 through 14, and then focus on verses 10 through 14 uh, as we consider this together. Isaiah 7. Beginning at verse 3, this is God's word. It's given to us for our good. Let's attend to its reading. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and of the son of Ramalia, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, it will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. Within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be too Uh, shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Amen. Then Matthew chapter 1. If you'd like to turn over there, you can. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Matthew 1, verse 18 through verse 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him 
and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. One of the puzzling things about our age, something that uh, I make mention of somewhat regularly, is the, the return of a spirituality, um, really sort of a new age spirituality in our world. It's, it's big business. People are extremely interested in it, paying huge money uh, to listen to these spiritual gurus and, and what they say about connecting to the transcendent or having our, our, our minds or our beings connected to something higher. What's puzzling is that as that has shot up, there's been a, a suspicion, a constantly growing suspicion around the supernaturalism of the Christian faith, that which is directly declared and proclaimed to us in the Word of God. And one, of, one aspect of that, of course, is the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and that being a virgin birth. This is a truth not just that we hold, but a truth that we confess. It's in the creeds. It's, it's a confessional truth, central tenet of Christianity and that uh, which we profess as the believing community. In doing so, we're professing the supernatural origin of the Christian faith. We confess this truth because God has revealed it. The early church had no problem uh, saying, professing, believing, and assuming this to be true because it is what God has revealed, clearly, clearly so in his word. As a young child that treasures the the long-awaited gift on Christmas morning and uh, looks forward to that and treasures that in his or her heart, so uh, we ought to treasure with all of our hearts, the central tenets of the Christian faith, to hold dear that which God has revealed to us, which he gives to us in his word. So we turn our attention to one of the key prophecies of Scripture regarding the birth of our Lord from the womb of the Virgin Mary. We're going to do so by understanding the historical context a little more of King Ahaz, as we read in Isaiah chapter 7. And in so doing, we'll be able to see a couple of things that uh, we can consider throughout the day today and by the Holy Spirit's help apply to our lives. A couple of things that we see in this passage, we see the error of faithlessness, the error of faithlessness. We also see the right way to live in covenant with God, and we see the warnings and the encouragements that this passage gives to us. And all the while, we remember that we give praise to God for what he has done in the supernatural origin of the Christian faith, the supernatural origin of the human life of Jesus Christ, our Lord. King Ahaz, of course, is one of the main characters here of this part of Isaiah. Most of our lives never touch around the issues of international diplomacy. We don't have those kinds of decisions that we have to make, most of us, I trust. But uh, the things which move Ahaz to action in this account are emotions to which we all can connect, things which we all experience. His situation is trying to find his way out of a crisis. 
He is in a sort of a crisis mode here and trying to figure out what he must do in order to get out of it. He is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, By this time, the people of God have split into two kingdoms, northern and southern Israel and Judah. He becomes king, begins to reign at only 20 years of age. And this, this crisis moment comes when the northern kingdom, Israel makes a a treaty, an alliance with the kingdom of Syria, and they're going to come against the people of Judah and perhaps take their land, take the reign of King Ahaz, and the people of Judah will be uh, perhaps no more, or they will be under the control of someone and something else. Uh, We read at the beginning of chapter 7 that the heart of Ahaz and his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So they're filled with fear. They're filled with worry and doubt in the midst of this crisis moment. But uh, King Ahaz is the one who's reigning, particularly on David's throne. One of the things that we understand about uh, the kingdom when it splits up into two. The king of Judah is reigning in Jerusalem. He's reigning over the tribe of, uh, the, over the tribe of Judah. And thus in a sense, retains more of the aspects of the Davidic promises. And so we read God give to Ahaz this promise. Now, perhaps he was doubting sort of the way that historically all, it had all come to develop with his throne, but then God gives him this explicit promise. Do not worry. This is what the Lord says. Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, by which he means Israel and Syria who have plotted your ruin. It will not take place. It will not happen. God gives him this explicit promise. He says, I'm not going to allow this to happen. I'm not going to allow these kingdoms to overtake you. This is a comfort, of course, but in a sense, this is a challenge that's given to Ahaz. God calls him to respond in faith. Uh, In fact, that's what he says in verse 9 as we read, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm in at all. So this promise that God gives to King Ahaz is a comfort, but it's a challenge. Will he trust in the word that God has given to him? This is one thing that's central to our consideration today. Faith to the people of God, to the covenant people of God, faith is the only proper response to the word of truth that God gives to his people. One of the things that it means to be God's covenant people. He speaks his truth. He proclaims his truth to us. And we are called to respond in faith and trust. We are called to trust in him as our ruler and our king. In verse 10, then we read, Ask the Lord for a sign. Anything, the deepest depths or the highest heights. In a sense, this seems strange. Usually the tables are turned, aren't they? It is usually a doubting person that says to God, I need you to give me a sign. You need to show me that your word is true or that you will fulfill my promise. But in here, the roles are reversed. God commands King Ahaz to ask for a sign. He's interested in giving him an aid to faith. He wants to supplement his faith, to, to comfort him and to assure him. In a humbling but also a magnificently blessed way, we see that this is what God does for us when he accommodates to our weakness, uh, when he gives us the sacraments. The sacraments are things that are given as aids to our faith, to accommodate to our human weakness, that we can know just as we see and taste and feel 
the elements that God gives to us in the sacraments, in the water, and the bread, and the cup, so sure might we be that he fulfills his promises. He is a God who is merciful. He is a God who accommodates to our various weaknesses. But Ahaz responds faithlessly, much like uh, perhaps we do when God gives us these blessings to accommodate our faith. Ahaz responds faithlessly. He says, no, I will not act. I won't ask for a sign. I, I won't put the Lord to the test. Now, of course, as we just mentioned, God has commanded Ahaz to ask for a sign. He did not give him a choice and say, if you feel like it, you can ask for a sign. If you're really led to, then you can ask for a sign. He says, through the prophet Isaiah, ask for a sign. Faith shows itself in obedience, unbelief, in disobedience. Ahaz disobeys God, and he shows us his faithlessness. King Ahaz is also trying to appear self-righteous. We read in Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So it seems as if Ahaz is trying to connect to that. No, no, no. I I don't want to do that. I don't want to put the Lord to the test. Of course, that's not what the Lord said he would be doing. What we also should know is if you go and read the book of 2 Kings, King Ahaz is behind the scenes trying to work all sort of things by his own power to create his own sense of security. He has gone off to the king of Assyria, a kingdom that's stronger than Israel and Syria. And he has gone to this king and he has made a treaty with him. He said, go, wipe out Israel and Syria. Take them out. He performs this alliance. All the while, Ahaz is saying, oh no, I don't need a sign. I don't need a sign. He shows us his faithlessness. He shows us his disobedience. Through this, Uh, certainly we can see some of the own tendencies in our own hearts. In times of crisis, do we hear the promises of God? Do Do we attend to the aids of faith that he gives to us? Or do we arrange every little part of our lives to try to create our own sense of security, to make us feel like we have a security that has come from ourselves? All too often, uh, we act like King Ahaz. God's promise was to be enough for him. He did not want the security of God. He did not, he did not want to throw himself to the mercy, the refuge, the, uh, the, the strong tower that God is. Rather, he wanted the king of Assyria. He wanted an earthly king to come and give him security and safety. It's more convenient sometimes to be faithless like King Ahaz. Because in doing so, we can do all that we can to avoid trial and struggle. We become too busy for God when things get difficult, when we've got problems. I I can't trouble God with this. I can't trouble uh, Him with this or with my faith. I, I want to avoid making God my refuge and my strength. We say things like the preaching of the word, the worship of the saints, the sacraments that God gives to us, that uh, they are too childish to observe when our lives are turned upside down, not realizing that that is what we really and truly need. That that is what God has given to us, to remain faithful to him uh, in the midst of our struggles and our trials. But all of this, the maneuverings of King Ahaz, the the human attempts to create security and safety, it does nothing to change the truth itself. Ahaz does not ask for a sign, 
The sign is coming anyways. The bad part about this, the error of Ahaz's faithfulness, is that this sign, Emmanuel, God with us, becomes for Ahaz not a sign of blessing, but a sign of curse. Becomes a reminder to him of his faithlessness, the way he rebelled against God, strayed from him and disobeyed him. In the context of Christmas, Jesus was sent to earth whether a certain individual wanted him or not. It pleased God in the fullness of time to send his son that he might save sinners through the sending of his son. Ultimately, truth is coming to all of us. None of us can ignore the reason for which God has created humanity. Not only can none of us ignore that, no one in all the world can ignore that we as created human beings are stamped as the image of God, that he has created us to glorify him. He has created us to be in communion and fellowship with him. That as the image of God, we owe him all that we are. Many people in Ahaz's day, in Jesus' day, and in our own day, think it's too impractical to heed the words proclaimed through God's true word. But that doesn't change the fact that truth is coming to each and every one, whether we admit it individually or not, reminds us of another truth that we confess, that he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. All people will stand before their God and their king. There is no, ultimately, there is no avoiding that. This is certainly what was true for Ahaz. And God promises to give anyways that which he said he did not want, that he had no time for. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. You will call him Emmanuel. As with many of the prophecies of the Old Testament, there are two levels of fulfillment. There's an initial fulfillment that God gives close to the time of this prophecy. And then there is the ultimate fulfillment that, of course, we know is found in Jesus Christ, as we read in the Gospel of Matthew. The initial fulfillment comes in the very next chapter, when Isaiah the prophet has a son. We don't know how miraculous this birth was. There's an aspect of mystery to it. But it cannot be denied that the way the the prophecy comes to us, that Isaiah is speaking of a virgin. Some people say, well, it just means kind of a, 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 young, a young woman, right? Uh, maybe perhaps a teenage girl, something like that. Uh, but the, the Hebrew word is a word that very clearly means virgin. The word that uh, the translators of the Septuagint used in Greek, same thing. And of course, we see how the Gospel of Matthew treats this prophecy and how it shows us the fulfillment of this prophecy. Mary and Joseph did not come together until... Jesus was born. Isaiah's son, given in chapter 8, is uh, the partial fulfillment given to his people. It shows the people of, of Judah that God is in control. God says, before this child will be able to speak, before this child grows up and matures, Israel and Syria, your, your biggest enemies, called Ephraim in, the, gospel, or in the, the book of Isaiah, Ephraim and Syria, they will be crushed by the time this young boy can speak. In other words, God is saying, this is not something you need to worry about. This is not some kind of earth-shattering, life-changing uh, conspiracy. You need to trust in me. This will pass. You are my people. I will protect you. 
I will redeem you. I will save you. The name of the child, Emmanuel, can only be understood in the context of God's covenant. God with us. That is, God's covenant people. God with us. God sets blessing and curse before his people. Calls us to trust in his word. God's people are to respond in faith in order to receive his blessing. God gave this son of Isaiah in order to show that he fulfills his word, that he remembers his promises. But through Ahaz's disregard for God's word and his promise, he set the the earthly kingdom of Judah on an awful trajectory over the next several centuries. But God remembered his promise. Even as the Davidic throne crumbled through the wicked kings that followed Ahaz, God remembered his promise to raise up a king that the Davidic throne would not fail to have a king on it, and he would be ultimately an eternal king. God was with his people, even in the midst of uh, their trials, even in the midst of their exiles, and in the fullness of time, one named Jesus was born. He was born of a virgin. This is not some aspect of mythical fairy tales. Some people suggest, well, you see miraculous birth stories woven in through various religious myths, and so the gospel writers probably just adopted that. No, we're talking about the real and world-changing work of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. It's presented to us in the Gospel of Matthew as a plain fact of history. Yes, a a supernatural fact of history. It is a supernatural fact of history, but a fact of history nonetheless. And this is central to what it means to being a Christian. A Christian is to be an unashamed supernaturalist that believes without reservation that God, a supernatural being, works within history. This is the worldview that we're shaped with in the scriptures, even from the first words of scripture. In the beginning, God a supernatural being, created the heavens and the earth, that which we encounter with our senses, with our eyes. God creates and interacts with that which which he creates. This kind of supernaturalism endures today, where we believe that God is working through fallen and flawed instruments to proclaim his word that he is building up his people. We believe that God is working through the aids of faith that he gives to us in the sacraments. We show our willingness to believe all of these things and to believe in the supernatural origin of our faith when we confess Christ's virgin birth. He was born as the ultimate fulfillment of this promise spoken to King Ahaz, a king in a crisis moment searching for security that he could not create for himself in the midst of his earthly crisis. Just like with Ahaz, the sign of Emmanuel comes to God's people. Throughout his entire ministry, throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see the aspects of God's covenant at work. As Jesus goes, he's interacting and he's teaching and he's performing miracles. He's calling people to faith in him. We see many who reject the Son of God. We see many who believe the Son of God. The presence of Jesus in that sense becomes a blessing and a curse, a sweet-smelling aroma of eternal life to those who trust in him, like Mary Magdalene and Matthew 
and so many others who followed Jesus and saw in him their salvation. But becomes, he becomes a stench of death to the faithless, to those like Ahaz who had no time for the supernatural things of God. The religious leaders of Jesus' day who saw Jesus as more of a nuisance than anything. Today we see people in the world who would rather not be bothered by questions of ultimate truth, people who become extremely uncomfortable when confronted with the questions of ultimate things. What happens to a human being when he or she dies? People living today perhaps too practical to think on the things of God. To do this, as we mentioned, is to ignore the reason that we were created. We were fashioned to be God's servants, to be joined in fellowship with him, to enjoy communion with him. This is why we were created, specially fashioned, to be joined with our God and our creator. This is the truth of the giving of Jesus Christ that is held out to the world. But as God's covenant people, as we receive this word, there's a challenge that's put to us as well. To believe and to trust. To trust in God's word. To find in him our refuge and our strength. To believe in the work of redemption that is finished through his son. In a world which scoffs at the supernatural word. Even as many embrace, interestingly enough, the New Age spirituality and the deity of the self, finding in yourself that which is spiritual and transcendent. We need to ask ourselves, do we believe in the Christ who was born of a virgin, sent to live and die, who now lives and reigns in heaven as our prophet and priest and king? Not just as a historical fact, but rather as the Catechism presents it to us as a blessed assurance as well, an assurance that his work was finished for us and for our salvation. And so then as we close, we consider these things, we see the work of God in his word and in his son, we see the warnings and the encouragements that come through this passage. Consider King Ahaz and Isaiah. He did not heed the word of God. He acted faithlessly. He saw it all as too inconvenient to believe, to trust in his Lord. He didn't have time for it. And of course, because of that, the truth of God became a curse to him. Ahaz is a bit of a cautionary tale to us as well. He cuts a deal with Assyria, welcomes this powerful kingdom right to his front door. And of course, in a matter of time, Assyria becomes his problem. That they turn on the people of God. And they become, uh, in a sense, after a matter of time, their biggest enemy. Making your own way is never the answer. Trying to find and create your own security is never the answer. But from this, there's also an encouragement. There's an encouragement because in all of this, as we see the sending of the Son as the sign, Emmanuel, both in Isaiah's day and then, of course, for Jesus Christ, we see the great lengths that God will go to, to accomplish his salvation, to remember his promise. We, we see that even when a sign of redemption is not asked for, the Lord sends it anyways. Even as we see the tendencies in our own hearts to think and act and sometimes be like King Ahaz. We remember that God has sent his son, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, to overcome our sinful and our wicked hearts. 
that God calls us as his people uh, to enjoy the communion and the fellowship that he creates by his grace and by the work of his son. And one of the comforts of being the covenant people of God is that there we see the sphere of God's saving activity. That he doesn't just set his word before us and say, okay, now it's up to you to believe. But rather we see God working through the means of his proclaimed word. That he is working in and through it to create faith in his people. And that in so doing, even as we have at times an imperfect faith that's Filled with doubt, we can know that an imperfect faith can still grasp on to a perfect Savior. And that we can see the promises of God where he says, I have chosen you before the foundations of the world. I will be faithful to complete my work in you. So take comfort in my work. That I'm working in and through these means that I have ordained. The proclamation of my word. The communion of my people. The fellowship of the saints. The sacraments. So, as God's people, we trust in his work. And then, of course, as we see his work invading every area of our lives, we are to seek his glory and not our own. Because in the end, uh, we see that salvation is the work of God. He calls us to faith. He calls us to trust in him. We believe what he has revealed is true. We believe that his work is sufficient for us that we do not need to to go and find another Savior, that Jesus Christ is enough, and that all glory belongs to Him and to our God alone. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for the chance to worship You, to give You all thanks and praise on days such as this. Thank You for sending Your Son, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the power of the Spirit to be our salvation, to be the second Adam, to be our prophet and priest and king. We thank you and we praise you. We ask that you'd forgive us of our sins. Give us a wonderful day together uh, with our family and uh, help us always to serve you and uh, to honor you. pray this in Christ's name. Amen.